You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So uh, thanks to social media like YouTube and Facebook, I'm able to follow the NBA playoffs without having to watch the NBA playoffs. It's kind of nice. Because of social media, these games have been so overly and heavily commentated that it's gotten fun, I think. A lot of people are talking about their opinion, their thoughts about what's going on. And so uh, people were saying that the 76ers, well, this one particular host or sports correspondent was saying the 76ers were going to go all the way, but it seems like the Celtics are crushing them three games to none, right? People are saying that LeBron, there's constantly this comparison of LeBron, is he MJ, is he better than Michael Jordan, or is go, they just go on and on. This, the comparison game constantly goes back and forth. Is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? And right now, I got to say, man, he's playing the best game of his life. He's doing awesome. And I think his stats speak for themselves. I think he's up there. And it's just really kind of fun. Uh, but the thing about sports games are that they're volatile. They're unpredictable, right? They're unpredictable. They go up and down. The speed, the players, the game, it changes all the time. It changes all the time. And I think that's why we love sports. I think that's why we love games. Uh, but have you ever heard of two opposing fans go at it, though? It's, it's, it can get... It can get pretty heavy, like punches are thrown, mothers are insulted, um, you know, people are, ha- are having to be held back, but one thing even more volatile than sports is worship. It's worship, because when you mess with people's worship, things worse than punches occur, things worse than insults occur. People, they stop coming to church, people, they uh, stop praying, they stop loving, they stop doing Christianly good, biblical things, they feel threatened, they feel accused, and it just goes on in a deeper level than a love of a sports team. Because when you mess with someone's worship, when you stir up trouble in their holy place, or when you simply change something that has been steeped in tradition, you're about to get into a fight. And I got a couple points today that I want to make. My first point is this, is that Jesus is not into your worship of convenience, okay? Jesus, he's not into your worship of convenience. This is what Jesus sees going on in the temple in Jerusalem. It was like this law of convenience at work, but I want to explain. All this market activity that we've just read about in the temple, it had a purpose. When the worshipers came to worship, they were required to bring an appropriate sacrificial animal. Now, they can't really be trusted to bring a really good animal. And so the priests, they provided these inspectors to kind of look over the animal, make sure that they were good. So they checked them out, that they were appropriate, that they were good, unblemished, so on and so forth. So get this. What if, after all that work of bringing the animal, your sacrificial, let's say, lamb or goat to Jerusalem, what if there was something wrong with that goat or that lamb? And so it was ultimately rejected because it was not good enough. Then on short notice, you'd have to find a replacement, wouldn't you? So the priest would provide for you a replacement. Better yet, why not provide a service where there are pre-approved lambs? True. 
Were there pre-approved goats and pre-approved doves? Because that's exactly the service that the high priest had established in the temple courts. So it was a convenient and useful way of achieving the desired result, which is a good offering, a good sacrifice to the Lord. Even when circumstances were difficult, the priests, they were understanding, so they offered this alternative. They're like, hey, we want to give God the best, and what you're giving is not good enough. But you know what? We don't want to turn you away. So they provide this alternative. So that was a good thing. So we think. But that wasn't the only thing. There was also the matter of the temple tax. Now, every worshiper who's 20 years old and older were required to pay half a shekel or required to pay the temple tax. And that was half a shekel. But the problem was these people, they came from all over the region. So what kind of currency was accepted? Again, the high priest comes into play, and he goes, you know, i got to figure this out. First, I'm going to determine whose image I want on, whose image I think is acceptable to be on that coin, on that money. But not only that, I need to figure out how, how pure the silver needs to be. And also, I need to figure out the denomination of this. And if, if I'm going to accept just a third or a quarter or maybe a half a shekel so I can kind of make it easy to accept. And so he decided this. He goes, I'm going to decide that there's only one type of currency that is acceptable to me, that is acceptable to the temple, and that will be the currency of Tyre. And so that means that people, when they come here from other places outside of Tyre, outside of this temple area, that they would have to use a currency exchange. They would have to change their money so that they could worship. But again, no worries. The high priest, they figured it out. Because for just a small fee, you could change your money right here in the temple. That's pretty convenient. So it seems like there was a problem, right? And then there was a solution. So why was Jesus mad then? Why was he so angry? In verses 15, 16, Jesus comes storming in to the temple, driving out the animals and overturning the money-changing tables. What was the problem? There are three things I see from this passage that were offensive to the Lord and three things that I believe should be offensive to us as well. So don't think about this. Don't say right now, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I think, man, I wish my husband or my my wife or my mother or my father or my sister or my boyfriend, girlfriend was here to hear this. Uh Uh-uh, this is for you. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, this message is for you. So... Having said that, let's check our own hearts, right? That's the whole point. You are in control of yourself. So as you sit here, check our own hearts, and let's see how far removed we are from worship and how we made worship more about our convenience and less about God's glory. So my first point under that is this, that all reverence was lost. All reverence was lost. So imagine coming into the temple, and instead of, hearing beautiful music being played instead of seeing, hearing hymns and songs being sung and worshiping, being praised and sung. Instead, instead of all that, instead you hear animals. You hear animals. You hear the arguing of exchange rates. Not only that, not only do you hear these offensive things, but you start smelling offensive things, right? You start smelling animals, You start smelling their dung. It's everywhere. You step on it. True. Look, the idea is this. Worship is not always silent. 
In worship, there is a holy quietness, especially as we stand and sit here before the preaching of the Word of God, and it's punctuated by songs of joy and voices of saints. That's why I love it when praise team, when they kind of dial back you know, in their songs, and it allows the congregation just to lift up their voices. It's beautiful. This is good. It's a very good thing. There's a time for clapping. There's a time for dancing worship. There's a time for silence, too. But what there isn't time for is a lazy, laid-back, nonchalant attitude in worship. What there shouldn't be is a tired, unprepared restlessness to our worship because, because we stayed maybe past 1 or 2 a.m. to watch the game or to hang out with our friends or to Netflix binge. And so we're all groggy this morning or this afternoon. It's 3 o'clock almost. And we're barely able to keep our eyes open because we've just partied a little bit too hard last night or stayed up. What there shouldn't be is a desire to knock this Sunday worship out so we can move on to bigger and better things like that soccer game or softball game or that barbecue that we've been preparing for for the past week or past month. Coming to worship irreverently is like me, let's say, coming to your house because you invite me and you want to talk and you want to pour out your heart. But as you're talking to me, there I am, and I take my phone out, and I'm just looking at my phone the entire time, and, or I'm staring at the clock just waiting for you to shut up so I can leave. Wow was right. It's offensive, is it not? It is offensive. And yet we do this all the time. I've done it too, so I'm not speaking down on you guys, but the Word of God is speaking to us all. God, He calls us to worship in reverence. In reverence. To stand in awe in His presence and to tremble before His holiness and to shout for joy at His grace. Let's make God the priority, right? So here's a little simple application. Make sure you get enough rest Saturday night. Very simple, but I, I think it makes a world, world of difference. Don't, don't Netflix binge. I'm not saying you can't watch Netflix, but maybe not into the early morning of Sunday, right? So things like that. Second, for the sake of convenience, their focus was all off too. Instead of the temple focusing on worshiping God, it had come to focus on the procedures, it had focused on the system, the forms, and the checklist, and the seats filled. You know, gone are the days of the type of commitment of Nehemiah's day where he says, we will not forsake the house of the Lord, meaning this, it's all about God, and it's all about God's people. But the focus for them, right, in this passage was on proper currency. For them, it's all about proper animal. You know what people did, by the way, before all these rules were created at the temple? Before all these inspectors were, were placed in these temple courts? People would go into their flock and they would pick the best lamb. The best lamb they had, okay? It may not be the most perfect lamb, but it was the best lamb they had. It may not be the prettiest lamb, but it was the best one they had. And it certainly may not be as good as the one their neighbor had, but it was the best that they had. So then they would get that land that they had and that they thought was the best out of their herd or their flock. Then they would take it to Jerusalem 
And they would protect it because it was a bit of a travel. People steal. There were wild animals too. They would do their best to protect these animals from harm all along the way because it was about their heart, you see. It was about their intention. It was about their heart. It was about their understanding that this lamb belongs to my God. But now look at them. There's no longer any intimacy here. That preparation for worship, that preparation to love and glorify God and build up the body, no longer there. Now it became all about just the procedure, became all about the forms. The last thing on their minds was really God. It became more about what I can give than who I'm giving it to. I wish I could say we're different today, but we're not. If we could read minds, if I could read minds, I bet many would say after service, you know what, man, I think praise needed some work. Or they would say, I didn't see her here even though she promised me. They might say, did you see what she was wearing? Some people might say, well, that was one long sermon. Some people would say, you know what, gosh, all I could think of was my stomach growling. I am starving. I remember talking to a Catholic friend of mine many, many years ago. We actually went to a Catholic church service or mass together. And I said after, at the end, because, you know, I have more of a theological mind than my friend who maybe was a Christian or not. And I said, what did you think? I didn't say it like that. I said, what do you think? What did you think of the service? And he said, it was beautiful. I'm like, hmm, what was beautiful? And he goes, it was just, it was just so rich. I was like, hmm, what was rich? And he's like, it was just, David, it was just beautiful. I was like, I get it. What was beautiful? Tell me. I want to talk. And he said, it was just like, like the glass and like the ceiling and like, like even the choir. I'm like, they're speaking Latin. Do you get it? And he's like, no. But it was beautiful. And I said, what about the message? And he's like, yeah, it was beautiful too. My point is this. We have lost focus. We have lost focus on the beauty, thinking that these things are beautiful when the beautiful one ought to be adored. We need to focus, people. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's focus. Do you know why there's a reason we give our announcements before the sermon? You know, as, as P.E. comes here and she gives you this bullet point of announcements, there's a lot Right? VBS, missions, uh, uh, membership class, all this stuff. The reason why we don't we do it before is because if you were to save it at the end, we would probably come out of church thinking that church business is really kind of eating up worship. We'd come out thinking about the program rather than the Word of God. Right? So let me say this in terms of focus for our singles out there. Church is a great place to find a potential spouse. Woot, woot. Good. I want you to. I want you to find someone here. Here, not just here, but I want you to find a Christian brother or sister uh, in Christ and then to, uh, and to grow in your friendship and one day get married and have wonderful babies and we can do the whole child dedication thing. It will be wonderful, right? That's like my little dream. <laughs> um, but when you come to worship and if that's your focus and your focus isn't on your marriage with Christ, then, then we're a bit off. That's the idea. Okay? Uh, if you're coming to service and you have a lot on your plate, as I, as I assume many of us do, 
There's a lot on your plate. Like you're about to have a meltdown any moment because you have so much work, schoolwork, you have family responsibilities, you got bills to pay, so many things and you just don't know. You got so many balls in the air and you don't know how to juggle it and it's going to come crashing down on you. I'm going to say this with a lot of uh, understanding and love and compassion, but here's the thing. Even your pain and that confusion and your wounds, we need to come, right, even though we are distracted with those things, those hardships, you need to place at the foot of the cross during worship. Place it at the foot of the cross. But God, this is what I'm praying for. This is why I'm, see, there you go. That just goes to show where your idol is. Do you want God because he's God, or do you want God because of what he gives? Right? That's the idea. Let your focus be on Christ. On Christ. And if you're worried about something, it's just so hard for you to focus on anything else. So like out of routine, you just come to church. I promise you, that the one and maybe one and a half hour that you spend here in pure, unadulterated worship, where you get to just raise your hand, lift your hand, and surrender. Do you know why we put our hands up? It's not just something Christians do, by the way. Sometimes we do this. Well, typically extroverts do this and introverts do this. But the reason why we do this is because it is a universal symbol of I surrender. I surrender. I, I can't do this, God. So when I sing these songs, yes, you are good. I am not. Yes, you have it together, but I don't. I surrender. And so when you are worried and there's a lot going on in your life, I guarantee that this worship time, this one hour, one and a half hour, will do more for you than staying at home and mulling over how to fix that problem of yours. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? So we need to keep our focus. Thirdly, the Gentiles' worship was sacrificed. So get this. In the Gospel of Mark, in the second account of Jesus clearing out the temple, he quotes Jesus saying, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations. Now, just in case you're confusing, what do you mean second account? Yes, Jesus cleared the temple twice. Twice. The first time in the early part of his ministry, the second time was after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Okay, so back to the passage. You see, the market was set up, the animal stands and money-changing tables were all set up, and they were all set up in the court of the Gentiles. What does the court of Gentiles mean? It means this, that a Gentile could not go into the temple area proper. So God had provided that those Gentiles who want to worship the true God, he's saying, you can come, but worship in this courtyard that was specifically set apart for them. So they could also worship with the Jews. They could worship Yahweh. But for the Jews, you see, rather than seeing that fellow brother or sister uh, who is a Gentile, and rather than seeing them with compassion and love and knowing that they are worshiping the same God, instead they saw dollar signs. They saw a profit to be made, and so they used that reserved courtyard to put up their stands to make money. It was the idea of sacrificing the nobodies for the convenience of the somebodies. Now, made for us, we would never dare do such a thing. But again, brothers and sisters, folks, look into your heart. Is there anything in our church life, in you, where there is a snobbishness, an exclusiveness, an ageist, cold, lack of welcome attitude where we tend to make the congregation into a little closed click of a club. You get what I'm saying? When I speak with newcomers, because my wife and I, we typically, 
I like to have dinner with them and hang out with them. And we always ask them questions about, like, you know, how did you find us and so on and so forth. And whenever I talk to these newcomers, let's say they are a believer. They've been a believer for a while. And I'll say, what, what led you to find our church? And they say, well, we clicked on your website, right? And we, looked at, we, we would uh, hear your sermons and stuff like that. And so for them, a lot of them, um, whether they would come or not, was based on the content of the message, Right, Make sure, making sure it's theologically good, but at the at the, the second part of that was in finding a community. Okay, now when Grace and I have dinner and we meet with newcomers who are not believers, or who are seeking and who are looking for truth, and they're kind of questioning who God is and what Christianity is. Right, and I'll ask them what brought you here, and the first thing they'll say is this: that they're looking for a community. They're looking for people that they can look left and right and say, "I can be friends with them." I can be friends with them. And so maybe as you hear me talk about this, maybe you're like, well, I am convicted in a way. But at the same time, Pastor David, I've heard you preach this many, many times before. But I want all of us here to remember the wrath of Jesus, that the wrath of Jesus had against those who made it difficult for those, and in fact, even impossible for those who were seeking to know God. He had such wrath. Such anger against people who were in the established church or the temple saying, you know what, to the person who was seeking God, mm -mm, you stay back there. How inappropriate that is. How wicked and sinful that is. We need to do a better job. We need to do a better job. My final point is this, is that we meet God in Jesus and not in a temple. Okay? So this is really my second point. Okay, so <clears throat> have you guys ever talked to someone about a subject that they're passionate about, but you have no idea what they're saying? Yeah? I remember I made that mistake with a friend. Uh, he was really big into technology. And um, I have an iPhone. And when people ask why you have an iPhone, I say it's very simple. And I think many of you guys might agree. It's easy to use, right? I, use, I have an iPhone because it's easy to use. So I'm really simple, I think, in terms of my understanding of technology. And I remember I was asking my friend about some question, a question that I don't remember. And I want him to explain. And he went into this like, long conversation about what it was and how it was beneficial and all this stuff. And, and at the end, I just got more frustrated. And it had nothing to do with him. He did everything he had to do. He tried to share everything he could share and pour his knowledge into me. But simply, I just had the inability to understand. I just couldn't get it. And I think that's what happened here in verses 18-22, after Jesus cleaned house and temple. You see, after he did that, the Jewish leaders, they demanded a sign, saying, like, what authority do you have to do what you just did? And so Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And it just went over their heads. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Went over their heads, and so they laughed at him. Why? They laughed at him because this is just ridiculous, everything about it. You see, Herod had begun to build the temple in 19 B.C., which was 46 years earlier. And in fact, it wasn't even done at this point. In fact, it would take another 20 years for it to be completed. And so what on earth, Jesus, are you talking about, about destroying this temple that's not quite done yet, 
that has been, been worked on for nearly half a century, and you say you're going to destroy it, and then you're going to rebuild it? What are you talking about? You see, these guys, they did not have a clue about what Jesus was talking about because they were so focused on the building. They are so focused on the beauty of the temple, the magnificence of the temple, the money and the skill and the system of what was going on that revolved around the temple that they could not see past the building itself. They could not see past the stones. And John, he was even honest to admit that even the disciples, they didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about. And so verses 21, 22 reads, I want to read it for you all. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, because three years later, these very words that Jesus said would be distorted and it would be used against him to accuse him and to have him crucified. Jesus was saying that when he was crucified, he would rise again and his resurrection will be the only sign that we need that he is the only Lord to worship. That this resurrection, that Christ dying and rising from dead, that he would be, that would be the evidence to prove that he had the fullest authority, that he was God-man, and that he is, in fact, a true temple. You know, I have a friend who uh, began attending a church after he got married and had a kid. I grew up with this guy since, like, fourth grade. And uh, during that entire time, as many times as I evangelized and tried to bring him to church and all that stuff, uh, he, he never was a believer. And I came to keep in touch with him every so often. Anyway, so he's, he lives near the Bay, San Francisco, and he, um, he started attending a, a very cute, pretty little church along the, uh, the coast, actually. And uh, he would often go with his wife and his kid, and he would just take Sunday pictures, uh, afternoon pictures along the water, and just like, kind of frolic on the grass and just take pictures and all this stuff like that. I remember talking to him. I said, hey, man, like, it's, it's awesome seeing you going to church and stuff. Hey, um, you know, so tell me about your conversion. Tell me about it. And he's like, conversion? <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, tell me how you about met Jesus. He's like, uh. And he couldn't say anything. He couldn't say anything about it. And I said, why are you going to church? And he's like, well, it just seems like the thing to do. I got married. I had my kid. And we all dress up in pastel and take pictures. And it makes the grandparents happy. Right? This is what we do. He's been going to that church for about a year now, and he doesn't miss a beat. Goes every Sunday with his wife and his kid. Folks, I want, I want you to know this. If you don't know Jesus, not just on an intellectual level, but if you don't have a spiritual commitment to Christ, you cannot meet God even if you attend church every Sunday for the rest of your life. Are you hearing me? And this may seem like a discouragement, but it's not. It's not because no longer do we need to look for a temple or a church to meet God. No longer do we need to find an unblemished animal to offer up to God, to take, over our, take, cover, take our sins. No longer do we need to do anything but simply surrender ourselves to Jesus because it is to meet Jesus is to meet God. He is in the Father and the Father is in Him. I want to encourage those of you who are still trying to figure out who God is. Those of you who are still seeking. I want to encourage you guys to keep attending. Okay? 
keep coming out. Keep gathering in life groups if you've been plugged into one. Keep talking with the people around you and do that. But until you relinquish your life to Christ by admitting your brokenness and admitting that your need for him and declaring God's salvation through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection, until you do that, until you come before him in your brokenness and accept his wonderful salvation through his grace, Attempting to find God on your own will be an impossible task. And to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, worship is not about me. Worship is not about you. It is about God. When we make worship about our convenience, then we've already taken a step in the wrong direction. When we come to church to worship, we must come with a glad heart, be happy. Let's come in reverence that we Get to worship God. Let's keep our focus on Jesus and what he desires of us. And also, to this point, let's also open up our lives to those who come through these doors every week. Let's make it not just a duty, but let's make it a love habit. Okay? A loving habit to invite those into our, into our homes, into our lives, whether they're a Christian or not so that they would one day, by God's grace, experience the same mercy and salvation through Jesus as you did. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness. You are a God of mercy. A God of mercy, and I thank you that you are a merciful Father. For I know that there's so much wrong in my life so many things that I have just done wrong, and not just unintentionally, but very much intentionally. Things that I thought would raise me up and build up my reputation, build up my, my credibility, and it was at the expense of maybe uh, pushing others down. It was at the expense of belittling others. It was, it was at the expense, certainly, of, of just ignoring you and neglecting you, God. And yet, with the wrath that I deserved... You give me mercy. With the discipline and the, and the hand of correction that I deserve, you give me grace. Lord, we as Shine Star English Ministry have, are, are simply coming before you as a ministry that, that doesn't know how to do everything perfectly. But I simply pray that through this message, we would have a deeper understanding of our brokenness that we would realize, God, how short we are. And that understanding would lead us, I hope, on our knees to come before you with such humility, with such a brokenness. And in that brokenness, we would surrender and relinquish and just give it all up to you. And that we would depend so powerfully upon your grace. We need your grace today. And I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for the way that we've even approached worship. So many of us are, have been going to this church for so many years, and we've been going to church for many years, and we've been raised in a Christian household, and on and on and on and on it goes, and all those things that we feel that we can kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, God, look, how much of a, of, a, um, of a head start we have than others. But the reality is 
Christ, if we don't know you personally, then we know nothing. If we are not saved by your mercy and grace through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, Lord, then we are just as lost as someone who, who doesn't even know you, who's, who's a constant sinner. God, we don't know you. And today you are beckoning us, you're calling us and saying, surrender. Know your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart is not a place where you find the solution and the answer. Your heart is the place of wickedness. It is in Christ Jesus that we find our hope. It is not looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I can do this, I can achieve this, I can merit this, I can, I can succeed in this. It is looking to the eyes of our Lord and Savior who will keep us from an eternal life of torment. You see, it is in Christ Jesus and it starts with Him. It doesn't start with the Sunday service attendance or anything like that. It starts with Him. If you know Him, you know God. And Father, forgive me too, Lord, if I have in any way been standoffish, if I have in any way put off this pretentiousness, Lord, towards newcomers, thinking that this is be able to keep a tight huddle here or keep this click here or forgive any of us here who have been just kind of prone to going to, 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 towards people who look like ourselves, who are same age as ourselves or who simply have the same type of background as ourselves, Lord, that we would be a church, a church that is open, a church that is welcoming, a church, Lord, that where we can come before others and say, are you broken? Because I am too. Let's Let's walk this path together. Let's journey through this life together. So folks, I want to give you guys just a quick minute. There's a lot that's been said today, but just take a minute and let it just kind of stir in your heart. Pray whatever prayer that you need to pray. But in doing so, do it with a confessional heart. Do it with a heart of true repentance, of remorse. And God, I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to be more loving. I want to be more encouraging to those around me. I want to be more accepting to those around me, not be so guarded. Okay, let's take this moment and pray.